and welcome to the Eastern Kicks podcast, a regular magazine program about East Asian film led by me, Andrew Heskins, founder and grandmaster of EastonKicks.com, and James Mudge, our leading writer. Hey, Each episode, we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news, and festivals, often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way. Show. This time we have a special edition to celebrate the return of Wong Kar Wai's classics to the big screen in brand new restorations. We have a special guest with Bidi Cheng, Managing Director at the Imaginar Retrovata Asia, to chat about the restoration process and specifically bringing those films back to life. Meanwhile, our contributors, Theo Howe, Ethan Chi, Philip O'Connor, Colet Bauman, Jonas Grifkowski and Stephen Palmer share their thoughts on the auteur. But first, it's been something a little bit different. <laughs> We've just enjoyed lunch um, that's been provided for us by the amazing guys at Bun House in London's Chinatown, uh, with Sister Venue One's Tea Room and Bar in Soho, which has been the absolute perfect fuel for recording mm. this podcast. Very nice. It's especially appropriate as downstairs at One's Tea Room and, and Bar is actually based on the look and style of In the Mood for Love. Mm. Um, it's a really great atmospheric spot. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And fancy. we're not just saying that. It's actually no, no, it's really, genuinely it's very fancy. Nice, man. Yeah, very cool. Really good place to have a drink, to have a great food. Um, so I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, absolutely, man. No doubt. Hi, all. It's Philip, and today I wanted to talk to you about the 1988 directorial debut of Wong Kar Wai with As Tears Go By. Having written in Hong Kong since at least the early 1980s, this is the very first film from Wong Kar Wai, and in many ways it's kind of a blueprint for how you do a loving homage to a Scorsese film without actually ripping off Scorsese. In the film, Wa played by Andy Lau, is a low-level lieutenant within a Hong Kong triad who's looking out for his juniors, including his younger brother, Fly, played by Jackie Chung, and navigating the requests of his seniors while keeping the other gangs at bay. In this film, he comes across his cousin, played by Maggie Kyung. The film goes from being a standard crime boilerplate drama to a more, as I mentioned earlier, Scorsesean exploration of the limits of happiness for a gang member in any criminal enterprise. Wa desperately wants to get out. I don't mean that he's making plans. I mean, he just only has a set lifespan and he knows this. As avenues are closed down to him to escape from this kind of life, his cousin offers a way, if not to escape, but to see that life could have been different for him if he had chosen a different way forward. The film itself is awash with aspects that would go on to become trademarks of Wong Kar Wai. Greasy, neon-drenched nighttime scenes, endlessly optimistically looking sunrises, dark, foreboding, brooding sense of dread 
for a main character who knows that something is coming down the line that they cannot escape from, and two excellent performances from uh, Maggie Kyung and Andy Lau. I don't give Andy Lau nearly enough credit, despite the fact that the gentleman, a 40-year veteran of Hong Kong, he is a singer, songwriter, actor and film producer, and his range goes from the mild, innocent, confectionary comedy romances that he's done over the years to really dark, serious content in the form of things like Infernal Affairs. And in here, Wa is just trapped. You can almost feel like you're in the glass jar with him as the water is poured down on top of him. There's no sense that he's ever going to get away from this, but he puts up such a valiant fight that you are there with him for every single blow and every single bad turn. On the opposite side of it, Maggie Kyung, who at this point in her career had done romantic comedies and had been Jackie Chan's foil in the Police Story and Project A films. And here is a tragic figure in that she really wants to be happy with Wa. There is no way the film will allow her to be that way. And yet she keeps such an effervescence in her character and a stillness and a fragility that as Wa discovers more about her, we do too. Just as she brings out the best in Wa, he brings out the best in her, taking her from a closed off shell that her illness that she suffers from in the film restricts her to, but that at the same time allows her the perspective that she does. So as they interact with one another, she becomes more and more assertive in herself. And by the end of the film, she becomes the person she wants to be. While other people have paid homage or straight up ripped off Martin Scorsese's tropes and angles for his mob and crime dramas, I would say that As Tears Go By is probably the best clone of a Scorsese storyline without actually ripping it off. It has tragedy, pathos, amazing chemistry between the two leads. The look of the film just make you feel like you're catching that 11 o'clock train out of the city centre, desperately hoping to get out before the trouble goes down. As a directorial debut, the film is confident, assured, and knows exactly where it starts, where it goes, and where it's going to end up. While more accessible than his trilogy of Days of Being Wild, In the Mood for Love, and 2046, it is a perfect tonic to the films he was making at about the same time, such as Chungking Express. So it is an interesting film to watch and see where he goes as a director, where his earliest thoughts started to formulate. And I would argue an excellent starting point, albeit that it is his debut for anyone who's seriously considering to getting into Warren Corwise films. And now to our chat with Beatty Chang about the restoration process. Thanks for coming on the show, Beatty. Mm. Um, I think if we can start with actually more of a general discussion about you know what is a restoration. Mm. Well, without going into too much technical details, although restoration <laughs> in general means, um, okay, putting something back to its original state. But of course, it's a, it's a very strange term because once something is, is damaged, it's, it's never really what it originally was. So in terms of film restoration, we try to uh, put the film... Um, back to what it looks like when uh, when it came out at that time. Maybe it was 70s or 60s or something even longer or further away. Uh, 
but of course it was never it will never be the same as it was. So um, in general, we try not to mess up with it. We try to what we call what the philosophy we call is a kind of a minimal uh, interruption or minimal whatever it's called. It's just that. Just doing whatever is necessary to fix the problems and try to make it look good, uh, and not too much to be not too much overdone, because like in this day and age, we are in this world of a high definition TV, whatever, um, we are so used to um very very clean, crisp, sharp images. Uh, that appears on our television or computer screens, and uh, so we try not to do too much in that direction. We try to uh, restore the film uh, in what it would have looked like at the time when it was released. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And how do you actually go about doing that? Uh, just as a process, I mean, obviously, I'm get it's with, I guess, with computers and stuff. But how do you actually clean up? Because when we say restore, like a painting or something, you know, we can imagine how you'd actually go about doing that on the mm. painting. But mm. how do you actually, you know, do that with a film? Well, uh, for film restoration, we always uh, opt to go for the uh, start from the original camera negatives. Which was actually part of the elements, part of the film elements that were actually exist existing inside the camera itself, when when the scene was being shot, because the original camera negative was the um, the original material, mm. um, original source of the image. It has it should have the most of the visual information. That's the that was in the scene when it was taken, mm-hmm. and also it should be the one that's the, that sustained the least damage because, uh, uh, usually when the original negatives was uh, prepared and processed, uh, or cut and it would be put away in the vault of the uh, film company or the mm-hmm. uh, processing lab, and after after you no know, it. it, it it been processed into in the positive and subsequently in the negative and all that. Okay, try not to get in too much to these terms now. <laughs> and then, of course, after the initial work has been done, right? The original negatives are usually being put away and being stored. So that's why the original camera negatives is, should be the least damaged and also it's got most visual information uh, of mm. the film. So we try to work from there. And uh, so um, what we do is uh, we find out we got the negatives, the original negatives, and uh, we, um, we we check it, we clean it, uh, we repair it if there's uh, some torn perforations or sprockets that are broken. We clean it and uh, and the one um, one very time consuming process that we do a lot in Hong Kong is that uh, we uh, we take off the tape. That's original, you know, the splicing tape that to put the, hold the film together, because usually, uh, in here in in Southeast Asia, in Hong Kong particularly, uh, most of the films were shot very quickly and have to be processed very quickly and and put onto release very quickly. 
the editors would just use some very tough tapes to just put them together quickly. So uh, in order to the, for the um, the the original negatives can be put into process the the next step of the process. But then uh, after a while, after many years, these uh, these splicing tapes get um, get kind of melted, get sticky, and get the color changes because they are kind of different elements from the the cell or itself. So, uh, it it kind of deteriorates at a different degree, and sometimes you got to kind of the chemicals will eat into the original celluloid. So, one process that we do is to take out the uh, the splicing tape and uh, retape them. Um, then we put the the repair negatives into a washing machine, which is like uh, um, is what works on ultrasound, which is like the 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 machine the that you put your glasses to be washed in the opticians. It just uses ultrasound to shake off all the dust, all the very minute dust that, uh, because any dust that appears on the film, that could, it could appear to be, you know, five feet across on the big screen. So it shakes mm. off all the excessive dust. And, um, and after that, we put this washed negatives onto the scanner which is the uh, uh, usually we do in in 4k now so mm. do i go into pause now or <laughs> you got questions <laughs> along the way i can go on for really a long time no, it's, it's really <laughs> no, it's, just, it's, uh, it's really interesting no it's really interesting because it's a process i've just we all hear these terms like restoration mm. remastering and stuff but yeah. you know even when we were me and andy were talking about this chat i just realized that i know <laughs> almost nothing about the process so uh, so yeah please you know keep continue continue okay yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah if it's okay yeah it's really interesting okay after is uh, is uh, where we we scan it okay we through the scanner which is um well the scanner at 4k that means um that's about uh, 4096 pixels horizontally and the two thousand something vertically, so imagine that uh, you've got a, a film that's a thirty five mm, a thirty five mm film. You imagine mm -hmm. it got horizontally, it's got about over four thousand pixels. So there's uh, one frame that's about uh, fifty megabytes, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one wow. film talk about a, a hundred minute film. That's about 150,000 frames. <laughs> so you can do your math. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. I'm not, yeah. But it's a lot. Yeah. So uh, you can... Um, okay, so if you try to open uh, a, a, a one single frame uh, on your home computer, I, I almost guarantee your computer go dead because there's <laughs> too much files, there's too much information for it to handle. Uh, at a normal home computer. Mm. Um, so with um, this uh, film, which will be about um, 8 to 10 terabytes. Wow. <laughs> Very geeky thing, okay? Terabytes. That's massive. Yes, that's massive. Uh, we'll, we'll send it, we, we put it, we copy it onto hard drives, Sorry, yeah. we we still don't have enough uh, 
connectional with band able to to zoom it across the world yet. <laughs> we put on copy on hard drive. It will take about you no know, two to three days to copy mm-hmm. it all, and、uh, send it to our、um, company headquarters in Italy at Bologna, Italy, to do the restoration work. Where、uh, they'll keep on、uh, working frame by frame, and、um, and then come after that, you do the color grading, and it、uh, depends uh, uh, what the client wants. That comes on color grading, but then Italy, some the color grading then Hong Kong as for the Wong Kar Wai、uh, films, and、um, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> How do you、uh, make sure that、uh, you you keep all the information from that that from each? Each frame. Well, well, what we do when we scan is、uh, we we produce a a what we call a raw scan, which means we we don't do too much setting. We just、uh, set the basic thing, basic information,、uh, set it onto the computer and let it do it, and uh, and uh, we don't try to put on well temper it too much because.、Uh, We try to produce an honest、uh, as the plain、uh, the image as it is when it was, and all the、mm. the rest of it, whatever the color, the special effects,、uh, will be done at a later stage. Because、okay. if you temper with the original setting, which means your original、uh, the original files you have, they're not really the original stuff. Because it is, yeah, imagine you、yeah. take a picture of your iPhone, and then you 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 just adjust all the settings, change the color, and that the that that the original photo you have is not really original, natural color photo. Yeah. So、mm-hmm. we we avoid doing this because I I I know some people don't do that, because they try to save、mm-hmm. time and money. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> <laughs> But we always insist of、um, doing a raw scan,、um, not temper with the original material that we scan. Um, oh, um, also, actually,、um, the scanning itself is also a very time-consuming process because、uh, you talk about scanning a one thousand feet reel.、Um, <laughs> that takes about eight hours. Oh, okay. It's very slow process because、uh, we talk. For those of you are not familiar with these terms of reels and you know, a thousand feet reel is about around nine to ten minutes <laughs> on screen. Okay, <laughs> so it takes eight hours to scan it, just normal speed, <laughs> and、uh, yeah, there's a lot of.、Uh, Numbers, I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is, but it's all—it's really interesting.、Mm. Yeah, it gives it, it, it's hadn't been aware of me. It's, it's such a huge and time-consuming thing. Even just that sort of getting it set up before you actually even start anything, like color grading or the work and everything like that, which is, I, I imagine, is probably the main challenge is actually locating those original materials in some cases for films. Yeah, and、uh, sometimes it um is. The films have actually various different materials, and、uh, and it 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 took it takes a lot of time just to find、uh, which、mm. is the original version, which happens to a lot of those、uh, martial arts films 
made in Hong Kong in the 70s mm -hmm. because there have been the various different versions for Hong Kong, North mm -hmm. America, Europe, Japan, Indonesia, Singapore, yeah. whatever. Sometimes you don't even know what the original version is. And then it <laughs> takes so much time just to find out what, what, who goes what and what goes where. Mm. <laughs> and so, I mean, generally, how, would you, how do you make those decisions? How do you find out which... which... Because with some of those those films, the directors the dead uh, gone. No longer, I don't yeah, care. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. All of the above. <laughs> um, well, uh, we try to find out if there are some video materials around, and uh, well, DVDs, uh, VHS, uh, Beta, whatever, and and try to piece together and and. Uh, and sometimes, of course, the film company, the client, would give us some feedback of what they want. But then, uh, um, yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> unless the director Which... is still alive. But mm. actually, um, talk about the Wong Kar Wai things. Uh, actually, they they don't have much different versions. Actually, yeah, mm. it's pretty okay. much straightforward. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, so don't have this myth that. He's keeping different versions somewhere. Not as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they talk about one kawaii, there's all kinds of myths floating around. <laughs> That's true. There are. I mean, we'll come on to that in a minute, but, but should we run through some of the some of the other work that uh, you've been doing? I mean, we talk about the the, 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 you know, the martial art films of the 70s and 80s and so on. I mean, I remember us talking a few years back about how Jackie Chan was invading your dreams. You were working with so many <laughs> Jesse films, <laughs> but you know what? What are the other films that you've been you know, that have been working on outside of out of Away? Um We have been working just uh, just from the top of my head. Um, we we finished the the two Fong Sai Yuk movies. Starring Jet Li mm -hmm. is the latest state Jet Li. Actually, we also did Jet Li's first film, The Shaolin Temple, which was made in 1980 or 81. It's very young, mm. like 16 or 17 at that time. Mm. Um, and we, we, we did uh, the police story, Jackie Chan, and uh, we just finished the um, three Infernal Affairs trilogy. Oh, okay. Hmm. <laughs> Latest, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we um, we did a fair amount of uh, Stanley Kwan films: The Center Stage, uh, Love Unto Waste, Lan Yu. Uh, yeah, 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 Lan Yu. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, Hero Trio, the uh, Chen okay. Siu Tong, Johnny Cho, yeah. fantasy thing, the two of them yeah. actually. The hero trio executioners. Um, yeah. mm. um, on the older ones, we we did um, brighter summer day. Mm -hmm. Taipei story. That's in that's the Taiwan films. We did the uh, Xiao Wu, Xiao Wu. That's a Jia Zhengke's first or second feature film. Mm -hmm. And um, so actually, we also we also do a lot of. Uh, um, Kung Fu films that are mostly forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not glam and artsy as some people would thought would have. Um, actually, mm. that's that's the that's the bread and butter that keep us going. <laughs> so how, how do these how do these uh, projects come about? Do you get approached by the distributors or by 
uh, like the actual the, the people that own the films you know or are they distributors in the US and the UK or how do, how do, how do some of these projects uh, stand up? Yeah, various sources um, in terms of Wong Kar Wai there was a, a uh, a project initiated by the Criterion Collection, okay. and uh, sometimes we work we work a lot with the Film Foundation. That uh, there's a uh, Martin Scorsese that's got a uh, that helps to fund the restoration of uh, mostly third world films. Um, we work with the the distributors, the Fortune Star, which owns a a, a large chunk of the Hong Kong film library from the 80s and 90s mm. um, yeah film big film companies um, yeah sometimes the um, director could approach us or sometimes uh, the people who own the film could approach us so uh, it comes at various places mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and now uh, yeah we do some work we work for some government agencies too and uh, mm. of course it's, uh, they're not they're not uh, kung fu films as you expect and sometimes they're historical archival films, and yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how many did you get through in a year then? Just oh. re- very roughly. Wow. <laughs> I well, I started. So it sounds like they take a long time. So it's just, just very in an average year. Like, how many do you think you you would? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> I never counted. Um, too too many or? Too many is is. Probably between fifty and a hundred. Wow! Because okay. I is for the last uh, talking about. Well, uh, we we started the Hong Kong lab in uh, two thousand fifteen, so we now mm. uh, lost count now. Sixth year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we do average about oh, ten to, tw- maybe ten or twelve films a year. So yeah, that's yeah, that's maybe. Hundred or a little less than hundred, actually. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> wow, so much. <laughs> I can't believe that. Ethan, and you guys can call me a bit of a cinema frantic as I've always loved Chinese and Hong Kong cinema growing up, watching films from many acclaimed directors like Zhang Yimou, Jia Zhang Ke, Chen Kai Ge, Jiang Wen, and most importantly, Stephen Chow and Wang Kai Wei. I love to dig deeper into means of contemporary filmmaking, applying media theories within text of production. I wanted to explore new concept debates and use theoretical approaches to film. The fluidity of our current industry has complicated our understanding of international media and film production distribution and exhibition. But anyways, I'm here to talk about Wong Kar Wai, one of my favourite Hong Kong directors. And the reason why is because he's been given an excellent reputation, the way he's been labelled to represent the Hong Kong Chinese Heart cinema literature culture. The film Days of Being Wild is in fact one of my favourite films of all time. It's about a man that tries to find out who his real mother is after the woman who raised him tells him the truth. It's a simple concept and storyline, and yet 
with great statistics, cinematography, lighting, cohesive soundtrack, and much more to show the inner personalities of Wong Kai Wai as well as his filmmaking. I also really love the character that Le Leslie Chung plays, Ah Fei. His delicate performance and charming voice made him the only endorsement of Afei. The classic monologue is also worshipped by the posterity and endless imitation. Afei called himself a footless bird because he was lonely and pathetic, so he could only fly non-stop for a moment, just as he could not escape the puzzle life except for death, wandering and struggling and depressed, never willing to stop. At the same time, Afe is a character that makes women fall in love and hate. He used classic minutes and tricks to attract the conductor Su Li Jin and then embrace the dancer Lulu. This is not the same as his life experience when he was abandoned by his biological mother and restrained by his adoptive mother when he was young. It doesn't matter. He regards the female characters appearing in his life as a stepping point in the journey. He always has to fly non-stop until his death. In my main opinion, the storyline of the film is the chase, the abandonment and self-destruction between a few men and women. From a symbolic point of view, this may reflect the wandering powerlessness of, of Hong Kong people during the 1990s and the rootless confusion. I always thought of Leslie Chung as a talented actor. His mature interpretational style was unparalleled. He always cast his own unique vibes into it. Just like this film, our face, eyebrows and backs and other emotions are conveyed perfectly. This world is happy and disturbing and I feel like Leslie Chung interpreted that through his character. Now I feel we can see a bit of his character in every single one of us. So should we should we get on to talking a bit more about um, the mm. Wong Kar Wai films? Mm. Um, so yes, yeah, so Criterion uh, instigated this. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So you were saying about Wong Kar Wai. He, he, how much involvement did he have? Well, he um, he all through the process. He actually he was uh, kind of flying between Hong Kong and Shanghai, I think. And uh, he would kind of come and look at it, look at the color mostly, and um, he would comment on it. The colorist who's based in Hong Kong, because uh, she he appoints the colorist that uh, that he works with to to work on this project again. Uh, so um, so the colorist is very good. Uh, Miss Carmen Loy, she's uh, uh, she's very trusted. By Wong Kar Wai, so uh, kind of Wong Kar Wai would give him the general direction of what um, he wants, what he would like to have, and uh, she would try it out and then kind of show it to him again, and then oh, can he would come back 
do a little bit comment and yeah, just just basically what it was is kind of like some back and forth, and um, yeah, he he actually, I think this pretty much his style, like his filmmaking style, he he kind of gives a general direction of what he's hoping for and just let the people work on it. Was there any input from the original cinematographers on on the process of Mark Lee Ping Bing or Christopher Doyle? Uh, no, no, actually, no. Uh, but uh, Chris Doyle came in to see uh, Chongqing Express with Wong Kar Wai. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. they're very happy. They're laughing all the way. <laughs> sometimes, like you say, it's kind of like a, a nostalgic moment for them, a nostalgic yeah. union for them, actually, in a way. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's kind of surreal, you know. It's like watching Chongqing Express with Wong Kar Wai and Chris Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, but but no, the cinematographers were not involved, actually. I think that ultimately the th- thing about Wong Kar Wai is considering that In the Mood for Love is often what people remember about what he's made. I know that he's done other famous films, but that's quite a demure you know heartbreaking film but in his other films he's really very funny and deliberately so so i want to talk about fallen angels and why i think that the best part about it is that it is deliberately very very funny and that's part of what makes it such an easy ebullient watch and it's specifically about takeshi kanashiro's character hoshi mo who i mean even just describing the whole thing that he does he breaks into places of work out of hours and does his own work there and he doesn't see there as being a problem with this, he just sees it as part of, like, you know, the hustle and grind of daily life, which results in him doing, like, you know, baffling things when he's throwing leaflets in people's faces, but he's never doing it in a malicious way. And him, at least, if not Wong, uh, displays kind of this element of childlike wonder at being in this new big city uh, that one doesn't fully understand, but you're doing your best to, you know, pretend to be an adult and, you know, work hard. Um... And he's able to find joy in the city where uh, the killer in it, played by Leon Lai, um, finds just almost this intense boredom. And that really comes to a head when uh, then Ho Chi Mo is filming his adopted father, the, uh, the man who runs the hotel. And that's a lot more joyous rather than funny, but it's this sort of juxtaposition of the jaded and, you know, the, the new face makes Fallen Angels legitimately really very funny and that's why I think that it's my favourite of the Wong Kar Wai films that I've seen.
Because it's just it's interesting um, because we you know we've seen some quotes from him and stuff talking about the remasters about yeah. them being you know different films and the audience being different and everything and there, there are some quite significant changes you know especially to some of the films and the color you know the aspect ratios and mm -hmm. everything so it must have been quite a, a fairly complicated job uh, I, I'd have guessed you know dealing with these very sort of recognizable films um, yes in a way uh, uh, he as as expected he's someone who's uh, who's demanding Ah, mm. uh, but but I think he knows what he's uh, he's looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, contrary to what a lot of people think, he knows what he's looking for, mm -hmm. and uh, he's one thing that uh, that kind of impressed me is that he he actually he's he could spot things that no one else could. <laughs> it was like this scene mm. where like. Ten dozen people have seen it, you no, know, ten times already, and we we cannot find anything wrong with it. And then yeah, he came and said, oh, "This is a how about this?" And, really? <laughs> and then we look at it again. Oh yeah, there's yeah. really something in it. So he he does spot things that that people don't don't see, and um, maybe there's one reason why he wears his sunglasses all the time. I suspect. <laughs> uh, and by the way. He doesn't wear sunglasses while watching his own films. Okay, oh, okay. in the theater. Fair okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, he he he's he's watching with with with, with a, a not not with not with shaded glasses. Not watching film with shaded glasses. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and um, talk about the aspect ratio. He he changed the aspect ratio of Fallen Angels and. Uh, the colors are, yeah. the The colors were altered. They were different from, from the original film version, and uh, of course, there's been a lot of uh, controversy about it. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, a lot, lot of chat about it. Yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. Of, in this day and age, where everyone can can post on the internet, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, <laughs> and you know, everyone becomes a critic, and everyone becomes someone. <laughs> and then a lot of people were commenting even before they see the film. They were just commenting mm. on someone's screen cap. That's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I can say that all the colors were were I mean were to his to his satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And um, this restoration was giving him a chance to do things that he was not able to do in a way uh, because um, because with the uh, modern technology now um, um, they can get the colors exactly to what um, they want and uh, it's like you you are able to work um, from the confines of film, but not a lot of people who are diehard fans of film, celluloid mm. film, um, they will think, okay, this is not right, no, no, but, but you may honestly ask yourself, when's the last time you see a Wong Kar-wai film on film in a mm. theater? We just talking yeah. about 20 years ago, mm -hmm. at least. How well yeah. can you honestly remember what you saw? Because before we worked, 
before we started on in the mood for love, we actually took out a thirty-five mm copy and watched the whole film, and and then after seeing that, all the myth in my head was gone. I mean, this is not talking <laughs> yeah. about it's not beautiful, but yeah, then yeah. it was yeah. at its way at that time. But then mm-hmm. you look at it; it kind of is not the color was not as great as you had anticipated it to be. Mm-hmm. Mm. So the way it's been uh, doing on this time is we generally we tone down the colors, not to as bright as it was, but then but still very lush. Mm. Mm. And then I mean, really, you got a chance. You really see it in the theater. I mean, all of mm. them see them in the theater to appreciate it, instead of reading from someone's screen cap. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, for for me, especially, you know, probably Andy as well. Like, I mean, mm. I wouldn't have seen these films in the cinema uh, when mm-hmm. they came out. Stuff like you know, in the mood for love and stuff. You know. Mm. I, not going to say I was young, but I was younger, and mm. you know, it was seeing them on a DVD, which mm-hmm. was not even a great quality DVD by DVD mm. standards, which yeah, is yeah. how I've seen some a lot of, those, of them. Some of those late nineties Hong Kong, yeah, exactly, oh. yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, for, you know, for me, that, that's what's interesting is this idea of, you know, me- the memory some people might have of these films is yeah. not necessarily visually connected to how it was. When they saw in some way, it, that feels a bit respects. almost a bit ironic to have yeah. this idea of memory when we're talking about one car away, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this I know this argument could go on forever and ever, and also no, I mean maybe some people would be jumping up and down just hearing what I said. No, you're not missing things. <laughs> but but okay. If I was someone just just uh, just uh, just an average Joe from somewhere, you no, know, doing some Photoshop thing, okay. But then it's mm-hmm. the director, the the person who created the work himself, he was doing it. I mean, I mean, Mm-mm-mm. given if you were given a chance, you would probably do the same. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah you probably sure. do the same yeah. to do the things that yeah. uh, you, you 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 try to make your work better. You know, it's, yeah. No, no, I think that's what's really interesting about this whole, this whole process, and, and I think for some people that that's where like the restoration versus remastering versus yeah. revisioning. You, you know, there's so much like throwing around different terms. Yeah, uh, and then I mean, to me, other ones. I mean, to me, a, a restoration. The term restoration has been abused in ways like to to mm. to sell DVDs of old movies. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's like you have to have some 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 high school. They probably some. Some some lab high some kind of high school kid and then who knows Photoshop and this blah, 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 click 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 and then they 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 sell it and put a label on it uh, restored and then uh, yeah, yeah try to sell it. <laughs> uh, absolutely, uh, and that's why you know for me I'm really looking forward to seeing these on the big screen. Yeah, um, it's really really good to try yeah. see them on the big screen. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so for for. I think one final question: mm. um, Is there a beloved film you have that you would love to see restored? Oh, <laughs> I mean, any film, mm-hmm. any, any film. film, any film you like, any film you like. <laughs> I I would go for something even older, probably. You know, just some something mm. that uh, I mean, as as someone who who grew up watching the old Hong Kong cinema, um. There, there, there are a few of them. Um, 
Ah, I would name、um, the story of discharged prisoner. Have you heard、oh. of it? Ah, yeah, that rings a bell. That the original inspiration for Better Tomorrow,、mm-hmm. because it's a very. I mean, it is a film that's that's different from. It was ahead of its time. It was made in、yeah. the late sixties, and it's got the all the elements of what a contemporary film should look like. Of course, except、mm. the color <laughs> mm, yeah, and the dresses.、Yeah. But then, and、uh, that would be fabulous to see in a restaurant. Yeah, I know.、Mm. And also, it holds a it holds a very personal、uh, sentiment for me. Because、uh, my my mother is a good friend was a pro- of of the producer. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I I used to、um, as a kid. I used to play at the house many times, and then I used to see them working. I mean, she go down studios in shooting movies. Maybe that's how my the genes of. <laughs> film making in me develop initially, <laughs> so I mean, if、uh, if I were to pick, I would pick that, of course. But、uh, sadly, I don't think the negatives are around anymore. We can just only work from a a a a, a positive. But that is a is 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 um is incredible. This this impact of the film has, and also the、mm. subsequent remake, and. And how this remake has impact Hong Kong film industry, the Southeast Asian film industry, and then because of course this remake by yeah remake yeah. by John Woo and can that that remake that A Better Tomorrow became a like the biggest hit in Korea. It's like every kid growing up in Korea in the eighties nineties they all knew this film by heart, <laughs> and of course that impact. The 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 Korean action film genre too, mm. Mm. definitely. Yeah, I still <laughs> see this um, this um, this um K drama or no sometimes is、yeah. um even this uh this uh a, a Korean comedy what's called Extreme Job. Yeah,、mm-hmm. yeah. yeah about about the these this this. this This wacky crops whole steak out at his chicken fried chicken store. I mean, in the <laughs> end, it, it was like an absolute tribute to 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 better tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's in a way that shows the impact of, I mean, the Hong Kong film has on the world and particularly in Southeast Asia.、Mm. Yeah. Well, lovely way to end. Thank <laughs> you so much, Peter. Yeah, that was fun. That was very, very. It was really interesting. Hello, my name is Yona. I've been working with Eastern Kicks for seven years.、Um, my favorite Wong Kar Wai film is Twenty Forty Six because. I was a huge fan for *In the Mood for Love*, and I've never seen a sequel kind of combine the main character's fictionalized reality with、uh, his current reality, and also kind of his memory, his nostalgia. And I thought Wong Kar Wai did that beautifully.、Um, 
And I also think that the visuals are, are even as good as in The Mood for Love, if not better, because we get to kind of see Wong Kar Wai play around with a sci-fi universe. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Philip Bellman. Wong Kar Wai might not be a prolific director. Um, the type of director that we're used to seeing these days when films can be made so much quicker and all the processes um, can be or are sped up. Instead, Wong Kar Wai has got a oeuvre of films that are films that he takes time over. They're films that he cherishes. And they're films that we as viewers cherish. Because there's something about a one car Wai film um, that moves you, that makes you feel empathy for the characters, that, that connects you to their world, that you feel transported. Um, it's something to do with his use of colour, his understanding of colour and texture. With Ashes of Time, Wong Kar Wai works with Christopher Doyle. Christopher Doyle is a very famous Hong Kong Australian cinematographer that made a number of films with Wong Kar Wai. And one of those films was Ashes of Time. And there's something that is kind of unique when they come together. The kind of presentation of space and and I think also um it's the understanding of Christopher Doyle of what Wong Kar Wai wants he's able to communicate that he's able to know what Wong Kar Wai wants to do what his kind of theory of film is if you like and I think it's 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 something that's really I think important to stress is that we tend to kind of, I think in the West, kind of over-fetishise the director. And we don't talk about anybody else. But, you know, when I talk about Wong Kar Wai's films, when I think about Wong Kar Wai's films, um, I think about the ones with Christopher Doyle. But I also think about the cast, and I, I think of the films as collaborations. Um, and, and, and that's kind of something... I think it's more useful to think about that the film is not a product of one person. So with Wong Kar Wai, you can tell his films with Christopher Doyle as a cinematographer from the films where he doesn't have Christopher Doyle as a cinematographer, that there's a distinction between these films. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind. The other thing and the other reason... Um, that I kind of wanted to talk about Ashes of Time is because it's the last film that Bridget Lynn and Leslie Chung make together. And um, I talked about this on a different um, uh, podcast, but I love Bridget Lynn and, and, and um, Leslie Chung, and I think they were just 
just unique actors and they 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 brought something special and they sort of completed each other and they they were kind of together they were more than they were individually yeah individually for me I don't know they the kind of the fine actors and 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 that might kind of sound odd because especially Bridget Lynn Bridget Lynn kind of um was quite challenging in the roles she took. So, for example, with the swordsman, um, where she plays um, a, a, a Japanese um, character, um, she plays a character called, called Evil Asia, and, and the whole swordsman trilogy is around sort of gender, and she appears in the second and the third films in the trilogy. Um, but there's something about her, and there's something about her when she comes together with Leslie Chung. And I think Leslie Chung is one of the greatest Hong Kong actors of all time, without a doubt. And, and I'm forever heartbroken that he's no longer with us. I'm forever heartbroken that, 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 that such a talented man who had so much to offer, um, couldn't be with us, couldn't stay with us. Um, so, I, I, and I don't traditionally get, you know, I, I see death as part of life and I, traditionally, I don't really, it's not something that concerns me, but with Leslie Chung, it concerns me. I'm very sad and I'm very sorry. And I think he was very young and, I'm just so sad, you know. I'm so sad that I never got to see him in concert. Um, I would have loved to because he was a singer as well as a director and actor. This kind of hugely multi-talented man. Um, so, so yes, so I always have a sadness or a sorrow when I watch Leslie Chung. But I think we have these wonderful performances that are part of his legacy. And also perhaps part of his legacy is, is, is a legacy of, you know, understanding difference. About, you know, letting people be people without those expectations on them. And I think, you know, however much it hurts that he couldn't stay around, um... I think that his life is just very meaningful and continues to be very meaningful. So I know I've digressed. Um, but yeah, so, so that's why Ashes of Time is particularly meaningful me, for, for, for me. Um, it, it's, as I said, an early Wong Kar Wai film. What happens is that there's kind of multiple copies made of Ashes of Time, because different countries have different regulations in terms of censorship. Um, and so that, um, you know, there are bits that have to be cut out depending when it's been shown. Um, the kind of original, if you like, real, um, that was kept in a, um, uh, that was kind of locked away and preserved, um, was lost because there was a fire. So, uh, Wong Kar Wai kind of 2008 makes the decision that he wants to kind of restore his film, uh, or that he wants to make the ashes of time then that he would have made 
1994 if he could have done. Um, so he reshoots some of it. So he reshoots some of the film and he also kind of puts inserts in the film. So the film actually is perhaps not, perhaps might not seem connected in the sense that we we think about narrative or we think about how narrative works um it, it, it doesn't have one character um that we follow it has five characters and it has different parts to it and we go from one character to the next character and it's not necessarily easy to know how they're linked together or 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 to put the whole together i think i think that's you know and this is um Again, about an understanding of narrative and narrative as something that's circular and time which is circular rather than narrative which is something um, that, 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 you know, works towards an end goal. Um, I think there's a very different sensibility. But I think what he does with the kind of um, restoration is he puts into titles. So in each of the, the, the kind of bits of the film um, that, that kind of moves away or moves into another character's perspective, we actually now have some sort of map. So he provides the kind of international audience with the map. And I, I kind of think that's the difference. I think that, you know, in 1994, Wong Kar is not the international director. He's not the international effective director. By 2008, he is, you know. So he's thinking about how his film will be received and he's putting the, these kind of, like, arrows in to help us navigate the film, if you like. So it's interesting. I mean, I've seen, I, I can see both, or I've seen multiple uh, versions of the film, if you like. You can find them. They are on YouTube, but, you know, there's no kind of original film, if you like. Um, so, I mean, the film itself is very much within Doyle's universe, um, uh, Wong Kar Wai's universe, in that it's about time, it's about growing older, it's about regret. It's about love. It's about passion. It's about honour. It's about feelings. It's about sensibility. And also, it's, I think it's about, you know, looking back on his youth and, you know, do we regret um, the things we didn't do when we were younger? You know, how do we navigate that? And, and one of the things that I know with my work on kind of East Asian culture it's certainly the sense of youth is, is, is particularly central, is particularly important, has particularly resonance, if you like, um, as, as kind of centre of one's identity. Um, so it's interesting that he kind of takes his kind of characters and, you know, when they're kind of older and, th- you know, and it's about... I think, have you lived a good life? Have you done? Have you got any regrets over it? And I, I think his film was all about regret and about not having regret. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of difficult for me to say to you, well, you know, what is Ashes of Time about? I think it's, you know, it's it's a beautiful film. It's got 
these wonderful performances. Um, Bridget Lynn, who plays um, both a, a kind of male character and a female character, who or, or I would kind of say is is you know really early example of a non-binary character, um, because she appears as as kind of both, um, and and there's nothing to tell you which character she's meant to be or which character they're meant to be. So I think that's really interesting as well. So I think it's about love and I think it's about loss and it's about time getting away from us. But it's also, I think, about coming to terms with ourselves and our our, our kind of, you know, our failings, our limitations. Um... And, and then perhaps the kind of notion that, um, change is possible in the way change was possible with Ashes of Time when he was able to kind of remake the film when he was older. Uh, and, and I, as I said, you know, Wong Kar Wai is one of my favorite directors. I love Hong Kong cinema. I love the exploitation Hong Kong cinema. Um, I love the experimentation of Hong Kong cinema. And I think Wong Kar Wai is just, you know, one of the masters of cinema. And um, I've yet to see a film that I'm disappointed. And he's always pushing. And he takes his time. And I think you should take your time over art. Um, so, yeah, so um, you can find some of the earlier versions of Ashes Time Online, or you can um, buy the, the DVD or watch it streaming. But I do recommend it, um, you know, for completionists or for people that like Hong Kong cinema um, or interested in how films can be structured in a very different way. And now Stephen Palmer. You know, Chunking Express isn't my favourite Wong Kar Wai movie. No, that would be In the Mood for Love, which for me is pretty much the most perfect film in terms of acting, costuming, vision and sound. But there's something about Chunking Express that brings me back to it time and time again. And I think it's because it's a love letter to Hong Kong as much as it is a love letter to love. It's literally two films, with only two brief, brief moments connecting the two. And two is the key word here. It's a movie where you can always compare the dualities between the two stories. The first, set at night. The second, during the day. The first, in Kowloon, on the mainland. The second, on Hong Kong Island. The title... Chunking comes from Chunking Mansions, an infamous building on the Nathan Road in Kowloon, containing within it the most multicultural area of Hong Kong, full of backpacker hostels, of subcontinental and African restaurants and food stalls, and of course, it's a hive of criminal enterprise, even more so since the walled city was demolished. And the express part of the title comes from the Midnight Express food stall in Lang Kwai Fong on Hong Kong Island, a favourite of tourists and business people. The two sides to a city-state, separated by but a few miles and of course the waters of Victoria Harbour. And then the film has these glimpses of the aeroplanes that used to come in low over Kowloon Island at the now defunct Kai Tak Airport. 
and then the central mid-levels escalator that helps transport the walking masses up the steep inclines of Hong Kong Island. Honestly, if you watch this film and aren't desperate to visit Hong Kong or use the film as a guide to spending the day there, well then there's just no hope for you. The stories themselves are tales of couples and tales of a couple of policemen who have recently been dumped by the women in their lives. Takeshi Kanashiro's decides to pine for his lost love by eating only canned pineapple for a month, which will lead him to his birthday after which he promises himself he will start again. And on that final day, at a bar, he meets the blonde-wigged Bridget Lin, a drug smuggler on the run after an operation using human mules has gone south. Kanashiro becomes obsessed with her. And who wouldn't? This is Bridget freaking Lin. And without knowing any of her story, he spends the nights in a hotel room with her, basically protecting her, without ever knowing she's probably the sort of person he should be arresting. And when their chase night ends, they go their separate ways, but maybe both ready to reset their lives. And then, a mere millimetre away, and let's face it, in Hong Kong you're never more than a millimetre away from someone else, he brushes up against the next story in the form of the ultimate pixie dream girl, Fei Wong, who works at the Midnight Express food stall. She has formed a crush on another policeman who suffered a recent split, and this time it's Tony Long Chu Wai's Cop 663, who has been dumped by his cabin crew girlfriend. When fate leaves the spare key to Lung's apartment in Wong's hands, she decides to get to know him by fixing it up while he is not around. Both stories tell tales of a lack of physical and emotional intimacy between couples in a place where everyone is ironically packed closer together than pretty much anywhere else on earth. And yet, both stories end with a sense of hope, a sense that new beginnings are always just around the corner. And you know, it took me a few watches of this film to enjoy that first story fully, but repeated watches uncovered levels of enjoyment. But the second story, my word, if you don't fall in love with Fei Wong's character immediately, you must get medical help. So you've got this movie here about the glorious duality of Hong Kong. You've got the story about love and loss, but yet full of hope. You've got three of the greatest Asian actors of the modern age, along with a film-stealing performance from one of Asian music's biggest stars. God, you even get Wong's fabulous Cantonese cover of The Cranberry's Dreams. But most of all, Chunking Express is a story about Hong Kong in 1994. It's one of those movies where the city itself is a character, just like in Woody Allen's eponymous Manhattan, or Wim Wenders' Berlin in Wings of Desire. If you haven't seen it, do yourself and your soul a favour and do so. And then as soon as this pandemic is over, book yourself a trip to Hong Kong and go and see this magical place while you still can. The BFI Southbank and ICA will be screening Wonka Away films throughout July with more screenings to be announced. So that's it for now. 
Thanks again to Bunhouse and Monster Tea Room for the sustenance. Mm. Don't forget you can find all of our previous episodes on Apple, Amazon, Music, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. But for now, cheers. Cheers. Ha <laughs> ha.